Father, we thank you for the opportunity to sing the words that Jesus taught us to pray. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, that's our prayer. We want to see our lives transformed, our city transformed, our world transformed. And we need your touch, the very touch of heaven, to change us, to make us more like you. And so, God, would you continue to do your good work among us today as we open your words. May your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts and bring the transformation you desire to see in each and every one of us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you turn to the book of Malachi chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13 as we finish our whole heart series through the end of chapter 4. I just want to give you a few important announcements as you make your way to Malachi 3. Number one, this is our last Sunday for being exclusively online, as next Sunday we will return for in-person worship at Medford High School at our new summer hours of 9 a.m., and we need you to pre-register for that. So listen, I'm going to give more information to help you prepare at the end of the service, but I just wanted to remind you of the new start time as well as the opportunity to pre-register to help everything go smooth next Sunday. Then this Friday night, Redemption Kids is hosting a virtual game night. I can't wait to join with my family. We would love to see you there. There's more info in the comments section. And then finally, we want to make sure that our members know that on Sunday night, the 23rd, we have our next members meeting at 8.30 p.m. over Zoom. Well, this morning in our sermon, I've titled it Inescapable Influence. Inescapable Influence. We live in a world of words. Whether we're talking about the pandemic or matters of social justice, or just what is going on in our everyday lives, you and I both know that we are bombarded with messages and we have an opportunity like no other in history to let our voice be heard. Did you know that every 60 seconds there are 317 thousand status updates on Facebook every 60 seconds. I mean, that is a lot of words. And 54,000 of those actually link to stories or articles or fake news that contain even more words. As we think about how much we're bombarded and how much we're even speaking words. Listen, you might be encouraged that the sermon is not about our addiction to technology today, okay? That's not where we're going. What I want to help us see is that in the midst of this world of words, the, our words tell a story about what is going on in our souls. That's what we're going to see here in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verses 13 through chapter 4, 6. Paul Tripp, a Christian counselor, helps us understand the, the relationship between our words and our hearts 
when he says this. He gives the principle of inescapable influence. He says, whatever rules the heart will exercise inescapable influence over the person's life and behavior. As we wrap up our series in Malachi today, I want you to see that our speech follows the inescapable influence of our hearts. Listen as I read these verses for us, as we see this principle of of the power of our words and what our words are communicating about our hearts. This is what Malachi records for us, God's words. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you, who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb, For all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children, and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This morning, as we wrap up our series, I want to frame Malachi's words around two questions for our careful consideration. Number one, what do your words, your, what does your speech say about God? What does your speech say about God? But then number two, What will God's speech reveal about you? What will God's speech reveal about you? First, let's ask the question, what does your speech say 
about God. Now, on the one hand, we need to be careful here because we know that no matter what our speech says about God, there is nothing that can change who he is. Ultimately and eternally, our words carry no weight about the worth and the character and the essential being of Almighty God. But then, on the other hand, from a temporal perspective, our words communicate what we believe about God. In other words, if you just listen to someone talk throughout their day, throughout their week, you can, you can get a sense of what they really believe about God. Our words are communicating what we believe about Him all day long. And as we've seen in the book of Malachi, this book is a series of, of disputes that God has with His people Israel. It is, in fact, in this world of words. It is a war of words between God and Israel as they contend with one another. And that's what we see in verse 13. Again, here is the sixth and final dispute where God says, your words have been hard against me. He's saying that, that their words were strong against me. They, they were harsh against God. They did not speak well of their creator. And as we've seen throughout the book, in verse 13, they, they re rebut back. They, they say, well, how have we spoken against you? I mean, they're, they're kind of in, implying an innocence uh, about their, their speech. And God very quickly gives them a series of poignant examples of how their speech has been hard or strong against him. He begins in verse 14, and he says, You have said it is vain to serve God. I mean, these are very, very strong words. The people were saying, hey, it's pointless to serve God. It's purposeless. There's, there's no point. It's an empty pursuit, a waste of your time to serve God. And they explain why with their next statement, as God points out. They said, what is the profit of our keeping his charge or walking as mourning before the Lord of hosts? In other words, you know, we can, we can like kind of appear to be keeping God's commands. Like we can even mourn over our sin or appear to mourn over our sin, but it doesn't bring any benefit or blessing to us. There's no point in it. And then finally, they take it another step forward, kind of in, in, the, in the opposite end of the spectrum. They say, not only is it meaningless to try to live a righteous life before God, but even the arrogant, they're blessed. We see that they're prospering. We're, we're calling the arrogant blessed, evildoers. They're prospering in the sight of God. In other words, those that, that, that rise up in, in pride against God, they have an inflated view of their significance in life. It seems that God is blessing them. That was their assessment of what was happening in their world. And these words could not be further from the truth. There is so much wrong with these statements. They were judging God by their circumstances. 
and they revealed that their religious actions were really motivated out of selfish ambition. We saw in verse 13 and 14, they were saying, hey, you know, we're keeping, we're, we're keeping these, these commands kind of ritualistically. In other words, their external actions were, were seemed to line up with what God wanted, but their hearts, as, as Isaiah prophesied, were far from God. So they weren't doing it because they really love God. They were doing it out of selfish ambition to see what they could get from him. They were seeking to keep God's commands for the benefit of how he might bless them, not because they wanted to bring an offering, a whole heart before him, out of love for him and out of respect and honor of him. And then to go on and to say the arrogant are blessed. This is just contrary again and again and again at every turn to the testimony of the Old Testament, to what the scriptures say. Their words were false. You see, if you've walked with God, if you have a relationship with him through Jesus Christ, you know that it is not vain to serve God, but there is nothing more fulfilling than walking with God and serving him with your life. You know that when you truly keep God's commands from the heart that you experience blessing. And it's not just material blessing or benefit. No, it's so much more than that. Sometimes it includes that, but more importantly, that's all gonna, that's all gonna fade away. But what doesn't fade away is, is peace and joy and internal satisfaction that we have a rest in our souls because we are walking hand in hand with the one who made us. God points out the error of their words. But then thankfully we see a shift in verse 16 where Malachi says, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. This shift starts to to tell us about the life of those who didn't who didn't uh, speak harshly against God, but who actually honored God in their speech. The intention of their heart was to, to fully surrender their lives over to God and to honor Him. And I find it so interesting that Malachi says that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. We don't know what they said. Malachi doesn't give us the content of their conversations, but we can conclude from the context that these people were talking about how they can honor the Lord with their lives. They were encouraging one another to return. We've seen all and heard all of these encouragements and instructions from God through the book of Malachi. Most recently in chapter 3, verse 7, God has called them to return to him. So there's no doubt that the the, the content of their conversations were about returning to God, about living for God. They were encouraging one another in this. And I just want to say to you today, Redemption Hill, we need more of this in our lives. We need more of this in our church family. We cannot let the enemy con us into thinking that, you know, just because we're in this COVID season, that community is impossible. Listen, it's not impossible. Is it more difficult? Yes. Are we tired of it? I am. You probably are too, right? 
but but it, it doesn't prohibit us from pursuing one another and still relating to one another so that we can enjoy the encouragement and the strengthening that comes from one another's presence and conversation. Will you live out these words, verse 16? Will you live them out this week? Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. I mean, we need to recover the lost art in Christian friendship of meaningful spiritual conversation. I'm talking about talking about things that matter in life, truly matter, like getting below the surface. Listen, you know me, I love the Celtics. I love that Jalen Brown had 25 last night and, you know, Tatum's balling and all this. Okay, like I love talking about the Celtics. I love talking about things that are going on in life. All right, listen, we all love that, but 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 we can't stay just at the level of everyday experiences if, if that's not really helping us get to weightier matters of, of spiritual, eternal significance. I'm not saying you have to, to quote a, a Bible verse in your conversation and only talk about the last Bible study you had, but, but as you're talking about matters of social justice, as you're talking about responding to these difficult times, as you're talking about anxiety or worry, like getting to the point where we're pointing one another to God and what he said. We're encouraging one another. We're we're not just sharing words with one another, but we're sharing our very hearts because we care for one another. We're in this thing together. Listen, we have to fight to stay connected in this difficult season. We have to to fight for, 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 for unity. We have to fight for one another. And one of the ways we do that is simply through meaningful conversation. That's why I want to encourage you this week with our RAC challenge, something we've been bringing every week to our church family. Simply this, so simple this week. How about this? Connect for a meaningful spiritual conversation with someone in our church. Connect with someone for for spiritual, meaningful conversation with someone in our church. Listen, it's so simple. It just takes carving out a little bit of time, just a little bit of intentionality. Listen, if you need to put that in your calendar, like right now, if you need to go, hey Siri, remind me to message so-and-so so that you can like set up a meaningful conversation, listen, do it right now. You can even tune out to what I'm saying for the next 30 seconds just so you, you can take that step and fulfill that challenge. It's, it's just a challenge that we see right here from the Word. They spoke with one another. They encouraged one another in their faith. There were many people around them who didn't love God, but they said, hey, we have to stay faithful to our great God. And let me tell you something. Redemption Hill. When you live for God, when you encourage one another in that, it thrills his heart. God says that that he writes their deeds in a book of remembrance. God doesn't miss anything in our lives. And then in in verse 17, he he says, They shall be mine, and, and in the day when I make them my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. I mean, this is this is how God feels about you. If you said yes to a relationship with him through Jesus Christ. God has set his love on you. You are his treasured possession. And he is writing down 
all of your good deeds, to record them and to celebrate them for eternity. And then in verse 18, we see this clear distinction. 13 through 15 tell us what the wicked say about God. 16 and 17 tell us what the righteous say about God. And he, he talks about the d- distinction between the wicked and the righteous for, in verse 18. He says, then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Here we see the, the, the clear connection, this inescapable influence that we talked about earlier, where our words reveal what's going on in our hearts. What we say about God, what we are saying about life, it, it reveals whether our hearts are right before Him in a healthy place connected with Him, or if we are in opposition against Him and our hearts are wicked before him. Jesus explained this in Luke chapter 6 verses 43 through 45 and he ended those words there by saying that it's out of the abundance of the heart that our mouth speaks. Some translations say out of the overflow of our hearts our mouths speak. Listen, the way that we use our words tells us and others how our hearts are before God. And Jesus would even tell us, which is what we're going to see here at the end of Malachi, that we will be judged on the basis of our words. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus said this, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. What does your speech say about God? That's a very important question, but it's not the most important question. The most important question is the second question I want you to consider today, and that is this. What will God's speech say about you? What will God's speech say about you? God gives us a preview of what he will say about us in verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 come to us as promises for how God will act at the very end of the world when he returns to judge the world and invite those who love him into his presence forever. He starts in verse 1 and he talks about the wicked and he says this, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. God is speaking here of the day of judgment, the day of final judgment. As Hebrews, I think it's chapter 9, tells us we need to, 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 to know that, that the Word of God says that it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. In other words, we only have one shot at life. We only have one opportunity in this world to return back to God, to get our lives right with God. 
And God here speaks these words of truth to us to to wake us up. For for those who were opposed to him in their wickedness and rebellion, he, he gives a picture of utter desolation. He gives a picture of what eternity will be like for those that consistently reject him in this life and refuse to accept his love and his grace through Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you today. Listen, this does not have to be your experience. You do not have to to face the, the blazing judgment of God. You can experience life and freedom from that through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said in in John chapter five, verse 24. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's our opportunity. That's the good news of the gospel. We do not have to face God's judgment because Jesus was judged for us on the cross. He bore the wrath of God that we deserve so that we can have life through him, through trusting in his work on the cross. And for those of us who have trusted in Jesus, who will not face the judgment of God. Listen, it's not just about escaping judgment and not suffering the negative consequences of our sin, but it's so much more than that. Verse two tells us what what will happen for those of us who love God and fear him, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. I love this picture of God promising healing and joy for those who love him. This this picture of the son of righteousness, it it tells us about a new day that is dawning, a new era where God will bring complete and total restoration to the world. But most scholars see more than just a new day dawning, a new era dawning at the end of the age when, when Jesus returns. But, but they actually see Jesus here. Jesus, the Son of God, S-O-N, is the Son of Righteousness, S-U-N. And we see this over and over again in the Old Testament, how it's referred, uh, it refers to God as a light, that, that God is a sun and a shield. I love the words of Isaiah chapter 30, verse 26. Listen to them. It says, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun. Talking about the the end time and and when this new uh, era will, will come with the sun of righteousness. And it says, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Listen, this is, this is the picture. This is the promise that Malachi gives us as we see fulfilled in the New Testament with the coming of Jesus Christ. We can combine the two. Jesus will return and he will usher in a new era of complete and total healing. Yes, physically with no more viruses and no more explosions 
that are killing people, okay? But not only physical healing and restoration, but emotional healing, spiritual healing. There will be no more sin or sorrow in God's new heavens and new earth. This is the amazing promise that we have in Jesus Christ. I hope you know it today. I hope you've received it today. If this is, if you are not confident that this is your future, then please let us know. We want to help you begin a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Listen, raise your hand if you're on our online church platform or if you're watching from Facebook or YouTube. Listen, fill out the, the, the link that's shared in the comments of how you can begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus comes to bring fullness of life and fullness of joy. That's what this picture of calves leaping out of the stall points us to, that in God's presence there is fullness of life and fullness of joy, as well as fullness of victory over the enemies that have opposed us in this life. It's amazing, amazing news for us. I want to conclude our time today in God's Word. I want to conclude this journey through the book of Malachi, the way that Malachi concludes his book. Listen to verses 4 through 6 again. This is what he says. He says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. God speaking here. And then God says in verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What Malachi is doing here is he's encouraging them to live in the present in light of God's words in the past given to Moses, commanded for their benefit so that they would walk in his ways. But it's not just by looking back to the, to the words of God in the past, but it's looking forward to the promise of God that God would send a prophet, one like Elijah, who we know to be John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And he's saying that even though your circumstances, even though your life right now is not the greatest, you can look to the horizon full of hope because I have the last word. And for everyone who brings their whole hearts before me, they will experience my blessing, my eternal reward, the perfection of a relationship with God, our King. Let me pray a blessing over you as we continue to ask God to give us the strength to give our whole hearts to him every day. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your truth. And we ask that you would stir our souls to consider how our speech communicates what we believe about you, but our speech holds the power to encourage those around us. God, we want to, on that day, for you to say, hey, this one and this one and this one, they belong to me. Welcome into the joy of the life that I've prepared for you. God, that's our prayer today. 
in the name of Jesus. Amen.